So today we continue our, our work through Peter's last letter before his death. Today we will learn a genuine encounter with Jesus changes a person forever. Last week we started the Apostle Peter's, uh, for lack of a better term, last will and testament, his final words to the scattered, persecuted believers. Peter started his letter with encouragement, and he will encourage us today, I promise. Peter identified himself as a slave of Christ and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He encourages the believers with rich theological truths, even from the very beginning of the letter. Their faith is a gift from God, he says. Their faith is the same faith given to the apostles. Their faith is possible only because of the righteousness of Christ. He encourages them greatly, and he's going to encourage us today. Notice in verse 2, it states, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is one of those opening prayers that almost all letters start with, but this one is profound because it introduces that theme of the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. And it's not just a head knowledge. It's not just uh, getting some facts down so that you can pass a Bible quiz or a Bible trivia game. But this is a knowledge, an encounter with God, an understanding of who God is. And no, we're not talking about uh, the Sarah young lady that experienced Jesus. What is it Jesus calling? No, that's not what we're talking about, an encounter with Jesus. We're talking about an encounter with the living God found in the biblical revelation of God in the scriptures. Not some mystical thing that they come up with in their own minds. It's the God of the Bible. The God that was revealed here. This is what they encountered. This is what Peter's talking about. And he talks about how grace and uh, peace come from this knowledge of God. Again, as I mentioned last week in this opening prayer... It introduces this key theme of the knowledge of God. Grace and peace are increased through knowing God in Jesus Christ. Such knowledge of God is personal and it's relational. But it also obviously involves intellectual. It, under, it, it involves understanding something with our minds. It's based on a biblical understanding of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. God's unmerited favor, beloved was birthed in our hearts and lives when we first came to a saving knowledge of God and His Son. That's when we experience or understand or encounter God and know Him. When we're born again. If you've been born again, it's because you came to an understanding of your sin and your need of a Savior and you came to know God... And you turn from your sins and trust it in Him. And it's at that point God's unmerited favor begins to pour into your life, right? That's when we understand Him better. That's when we understand that our sins are forgiven. That's when we understand that He's more than just some outside source. He is our indwelling God that loves us and that's with us always. When we encounter Jesus that very first time, God's grace begins to be poured out in our lives. And it increases. His unmerited favor continues to increase 
as we grow in our knowledge of God, which is why we study the Bible, right? Which is why we spend time in the Word all the time. It's so we can know God more so the grace of God will be poured out into our lives more and more. That's why you're here today, I hope. You're here today to know God more, right? You've had enough of reading social media, Twitter, and watching the news. You've said, okay, no more of that. I'm going to take some time now, and I just want to study the Word. Well, I would venture to say, don't just do it today. Do it tomorrow. Maybe not turn it on at all. Just read your Bibles. You'd be a lot better off. We need more knowledge of God, don't we? For that's the source of our grace and peace. It's God's grace and peace. You know, that peace, oh man, how many of you need a little bit of that peace? We all need it, don't we? A state of well-being, harmony, contentment, almost like rest. How many of you need that rest, that state of well-being in your soul? You look at the world and you see everything falling apart, and you say, I just need rest. You know, it reminds me of uh, Pilgrim's Progress when uh, Christian first comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus. What happens? This great pack falls off his back, and he is relieved. It's that peace that comes over and surpasses all understanding. It's not only a peace of us relationally with God, that God no longer is angry with us, but it's also an inward attitude, a peace that's, everything's okay. I'm all right. God's got me in his hand. Sometimes the best way to define this these words is to think of the opposite of the word. So what's the opposite of peace? Well, here it is. You ready? Stress, tension, burdens, worry, anxiety, nervousness, concern, uneased, angst, apprehension. That's the opposite of this peace. Anybody fight those this week? Stress, tension, burden, worry, anxiety. Is that us? Well, you want the solution? It comes through knowledge of God. Knowing Him. Enjoying Him. Resting in Him. The opposite of peace is what the world is all about, isn't it? It's constantly bombarding us with things that worry us and cause tension and stress in our souls. And we're agitated in our souls, aren't we? Anybody else? As strange as this sounds, the opposite of this prayer is true for the world. Do you understand that this is Satan's, uh, uh, his goal, his aim for the world? You ready? Hardship and angst will increase to people in the knowledge of the world and its rulers. That's the opposite of that prayer. He wants hardship and angst to control. He wants it to increase in our lives. But what do we need? We need grace and peace. And that's found through a knowledge of God. Beloved, grace and peace abound when we know more about God and come to know God in a deeper way, even in the crucible of suffering experiences. There is a resting place, isn't it? There is a beautiful resting place. There is a peace and a tranquility, even in the midst of the chaos of the world. And where is it found? It's not found on Facebook, and it's not found on Twitter, I promise you. It's found in the experiential knowledge of God. It's found in knowing Him, abiding in Him, trusting in Him, 
rejoicing in him. The psalmist gets it. David talks about it. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. David understood that peace avails to him even in the midst of the most difficult trials. As Psalm 18 states, he states this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my rock in whom I take refuge. My strength and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. That's that inward peace. That's where it is. You can hear it in, can't you? I need that. How about you guys? You need that? It's found in the knowledge of God. It's found in knowing Him. This knowledge of God is our life pursuit, isn't it? We were converted through knowing God. We are sanctified through knowing God. And we will be sustained to the end through knowing God. There is a war going on in every believer's soul. There is a war. We know God is our strong tower and refuge. We know He is our rest and our place of grace and peace. We know these things to be true. But we live in these bodies of death that are constantly pulled by the lies and chaos and temptations of the world. It's bombarding you all the time, isn't it? Am I the only one? Everybody else. You're struggling? I'm struggling. There's fights everywhere, isn't it? There's temptations everywhere. I need grace and peace. And so where do I find it? Where do you find it? In the knowledge of God. The more you know Him, the more peace and grace increases and abounds in your souls. Everywhere we look, evil, sadness, anger, slander, frustrations, temptations. So we're bombarded by knowledge. We're getting it constantly, aren't we? But it's not the knowledge of God. We're constantly experiencing pain, anger, and evil. We must turn to God and His revelation of Himself in the world, Word. We must turn to Him continuously. Beloved, the Reformers 500 years ago, 400 years ago, saw a massive change happen in their day. Why? Because knowing God through the Scriptures became their top priority, which is what you'll talk about tonight. Praise the Lord, right? That's why the transformation happened. The world was headed in a chaos. And even the church itself, the professing church, was going the wrong way in many ways. But what happened? This got, this got elevated. <laughs> and people started seeking to know God. And things changed. Is there anyone like me in the room? find myself asking questions like this occasionally, sometimes more than others. How can I survive in this world filled with chaos? How do I do it? I'm so prone to sin, and the world I live in is constantly seeking to destroy me. Is survival even possible? Has anybody in here struggled with this and thought, how do I even survive? 
Can I look like Christ in this world? Have you thought that? Can I really look like Christ in this world that appears to be impossible to live in? Today, I'm going to give you a ton of hope. You ready? Today, you get a hug from God. There's hope. There's lots of hope. And it's found in these two beautiful verses in verses 3 and 4. I think we could camp on them for the next month and not plumb the depths of them. They're amazing. Let's look. Peter develops this knowledge of God theme in verses 3 and 4, and he states or gives the foundation of the believer's new life in Christ. Remember the circumstances. They're facing persecution. Peter's about to die for Christ. And yet, he talks about life. He talks about life and godliness in the face of death. Very interesting. The foundation of the believer's new life in Christ. Let's start with verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us a few things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. That would be what? A bad translation that I read. It says what? Seeing that his divine power has granted to us, everybody together, everything. Say it one more time, a little bit louder. Everything. No, how much? Everything. Okay, we didn't say it loud enough. Everything. Okay, you got it. <laughs> Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe the Bible? Do you? If you believe the Bible, then this verse should rock your world. You should go nowhere else but to know God. This verse is that powerful. It's significant, isn't it? These two verses introduce the introduction that will then be followed in verses 5 through 7 on how we should live. The power and the grace are the foundation for the call to live a godly life in verses 5 through 7. We're looking at the foundation this week. Next week, we'll look at the exhortation. Today, we're looking at the foundation. So let's make some observations on this passage for the believer's new life in Christ. First, life and godliness is guaranteed for believers. You see it in the verse, but write it down. I want you to get it. If you take notes, this is what you write down. Life and godliness are guaranteed for believers. Life and godliness are guaranteed for believers. Christ's divine power guarantees life for the believer. Only those who are godly will experience eternal life. We know this for a fact. You have to... You have to live what you believe in order to be who you are eventually. In other words, it's not that we earn our salvation, but by trusting in Christ, we will then do good deeds. We will be godly, and then we will end up where? In heaven. It's our good deeds doesn't save us, but our faith in Christ changes us, and therefore we live in a way that makes us godly 
We display this in the world, and we do this, and everybody that does that goes to heaven. You go to heaven because of what God's doing. It is fitting here that it says Christ's divine power is the source of godliness. Only God can make wicked sinners like me and you godly. Do you understand? Only God can do that. Only His divine power can do that. You can't do it. You can try. You can clean up the outside of the cup. You can be one pretty cup on the outside. But inside, you will be wretched and miserable. Do you understand? Only God's divine power can do this. One commentator stated it this way. The call to godliness is rooted and secured by God's grace. His gracious power supplies what Jesus demands. God's gracious power provides what Jesus demands. End quote. There's a power graciously working in every believer. Everybody who has been born again and trusted in Christ, God's divine power is active in you. It's working. That's good news, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, that means no matter how bad the chaos gets, no matter how big the attack is, God's power is what? Stronger than anything that's going on outside of you. God's working. Now, this should humble everybody in the room, too, shouldn't it? It should cause gratitude, but it should cause humility, because it, it says to us, what? It's not me. I couldn't do it, but the divine power of God working in me is what does it. He accomplished it. It happened and started at our conversion. A second observation, notice. Life and godliness come through knowledge. Life and godliness come through knowledge. We who believe have everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him, of Christ. Those who know God have everything they need for life and godliness. You said it. It's everything. And guess what the translation of that word is? You ready? Everything. Is it confusing? No. Everything. Everything. This is the main point of the first clause here. Christ has provided everything believers need for life and godliness through knowing Christ. Not confusing. Not hard. But why don't we trust it? Why don't we believe it? Why don't we live like we believe it? We have said it before, and we will say it again. Life is found through knowing the biblical Jesus in a saving way. One commentator stated, quote, The church must not conclude that godliness comes from their own inherent abilities since the gifts given to believers are rooted in the knowledge of Christ. Everything for, life and God, everything for eternal life is mediated through the knowledge of Christ. Now, again, I cannot stress this enough to you. You've got to get this. Everything you need for life and godliness is facilitated through knowing Jesus. The problem for us is we live in a dead world, so being godly in a wicked world can appear to be impossible, right? 
It, it, it is impossible in our own strength, isn't it? How many of you sinned this week? You know why? Because you were not meditating and abiding in the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus at that moment. You were focused on who at that moment? Self. How do sinners live instead of die? How do wicked people do what is right instead of pursue selfishness and unrighteousness? How do prideful people become humble slaves of God? Answer? One answer. You ready? A knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. That's it. We can see why J.I. Packer wrote a Christian book called Knowing God. I think he got it, right? It was a systematic theology, a small little systematic theology all about what? Knowing God. <laughs> because if you know God, what's going to happen? You're going to live different. You're going to honor God. Packer sought to summarize who God is because the knowledge of God from the scriptures is what he got his information from transformed sinners into godly followers of Christ. Why is it? Why is it, beloved? We often go everywhere but to the only place that can fix our problems. Why? We go everywhere but where we can really find help. Where do we go? I just listed out a few. We go to other people. We do. We go to other people. We think somebody else is going to help me. This person can solve my problems. If I go to this person, maybe they will help me. We go to our friends. We go to our family members. We go to the doctor. Now, I'm not saying don't ever go to a doctor. But sometimes we think a doctor, and it's amazing to me that sometimes you can hear it in doctors as they're talking to you. And they begin to try to give you some psychological counseling there. Because they probably heard it so many times, right? People come in and they say, well, I've got this problem and this problem and this problem. We go to doctors. We go to so-called experts. We go to counselors. We go to psychologists. We go to worldly self-help books. We go to drugs. We go to alcohol. We go to entertainment. We go to stuff. We go to money. We go everywhere but where we need to go, which is to God and a knowledge of Him. Isn't that us? We go everywhere but where we should go. I wanted to illustrate this and to myself and just think through it. I, I pulled out my phone last night and I was talking to Brenda and I went to the junk box of your email. You know, you usually go there only if you have people watching because there's so much garbage they send to you, don't they? I mean, it's everywhere. But I pulled out the junk box and opened it up just to see the experience and experiment. Obviously, I didn't click on them. But I started reading the title lines and the email in the junk box out to my wife. It was intriguing how the titles offered so many fixes. Need a vacation? We've got your help. Need lots of money. We've got your help. It's all, it's what the world's doing. It's bombarding you with information. 
to try to somehow make you happy and give you a fix and help you have a good, abundant life everywhere you go. But none of the emails were really a place for real help. None of us, none of them pointed me to what? Knowing God, who He is. Beloved, our, our help for life and godliness is not found in the knowledge that comes from the world. Matter of fact, if where we get our information only is from the world, we're going to be a disaster. You say, Mike, I've heard this before. Well, how well did you do studying your Bible this week? <laughs> See, again, we say we know these verses, but how much time did we actually spend in the Bible this week? Can you imagine if up on the screen we would just post a name and all of a sudden your Facebook time was listed out or your Twitter time or your time watching TV was compared to your time reading your Bibles? and they were put up on the screen, what would we all do? We'd probably all go, Ooh, hope my name doesn't show up. We're getting information everywhere, but we're not spending time in the place that helps us. Life and godliness is not found in the world. It's found in the scriptures. We need more of this. Now, can other people help us? Can other people help us? Absolutely. They can help us. You know how they can help us? By pointing us to what this says. <laughs> Listen, beloved. If, if you go to somebody with your problems and they never tell you about Jesus, that person's not helping you at all. If, if that other person always tells you what you want to hear, too. Guess what? They're not helping you at all. Because the knowledge of God does what to all of us? It humbles us. It brings us to our knees, doesn't it? It points us to the reality. I need Christ, and He's my only hope. So please, beloved, if you're counseling somebody, point them to Christ. If you go to get counsel from somebody, make sure they only talk about Christ. You need Christ. You don't need the world. There's plenty of that to go around, right? God's divine power has granted to us everything for life and godliness through a true knowledge of God. That's it. The sufficiency of the gospel is clearly laid out in this passage. It's so clear, there's no, it's, it's obvious. What do we need? We need Christ. Where do we get Him? Where do we understand Him? Where do we grow in our understanding of Him? The Bible. That's it. We need the gospel. You can't fix yourself. You can't fix others. You can't fix, get fixed by drugs or by environmental changes. It's not going to help. The only hope is knowing Jesus in Scripture. Not a little bit of Jesus, but a lot of Jesus. It must be our continuous pursuit, right? To know Christ more.
As we know him more, we will live for him and look like him. What is this life, by the way? This life, these people were facing death. So it must be a different life, right? It's not, hey, look, if we study Jesus, it doesn't mean that the world's not going to kill us. In fact, if we study Jesus, we're already living. Why? Because this is talking about eternal life. Eternal life is that life that is knowing God and enjoying Him and delighting in Him. That's what we need, right? We need to abide in Christ. That's where our real life is found. It's not found in the things of the world. It's not found in even good physical health, is it? It's found in knowing Jesus. That's it. And this godliness is this moral excellence that we'll see in a second. But you understand, good deeds, as mentioned in Sunday school class today, are possible. They are possible. You know how they're possible? Through knowing God. The more we know Him, the more we will look like Him, as we will see. This is what it's all about. So notice third, the third observation. God effectually calls us through the gospel. The effectual call of God comes through knowing God is who He is. He transforms us by knowing Him. It says, who called us by His own glory and excellence. Beloved, it's important. Knowing God transforms us. If you're here and you don't know God and you understand that you have a sin problem, your hope is the gospel. Once you understand who Christ is and what he's done for you, you will turn from your sins and trust him. That's the moment God calls you. That's the moment that you repent of your sins and trust in him. The Lord calls us to believe in him, to trust in him, to depend on him. This is the effectual call that Peter's talking about here. He does a miraculous work in us. Beloved, I, 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 sometimes I think about this. If, if y'all saw me when I was 21, <laughs> if most of y'all knew who I was at 21, you'd be like, what is that guy up there preaching for? You understand, I was running the opposite direction. I was living for me, nobody else. Whenever I heard the name Jesus, I thought they were wackos. And I would mock them for it. What in the world happened? Answer, an effectual call of God. God transformed my thoughts, showed me his glory. And I said, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I need Christ. He's my only hope. And he's a beautiful hope. There was nowhere else I wanted to go then. The one that I mocked before, there was no other place for me than to be with him and enjoy him. That's all I wanted. I wanted to know Christ more. Why? Because this is an irresistible call. This is an effectual call. It's a compelling call, an overpowering call, isn't it? A powerful call. When God calls us to himself... Really, there's no other place we can go, can we? I mean, everything I was doing, I didn't want to do anymore. I just wanted to know him more and serve him. Have you come to that place, beloved? Do you know the God who calls, that saves, 
that is so beautiful and so amazing and so glorious that there's nowhere else I'd rather be today than to hear the word of God and know him more. Are you there? When God is working, we can't say no to him. When God is drawing us to himself, we can't avoid him. Why? Because his glory and his excellence are overwhelming. He's so beautiful, so awesome, so powerful, so glorious that there's nothing else we'd rather do than just sit in his presence and enjoy him. I want that. Do you have that? That's it. If you could just meditate on this for just a second, you're, all those things of the world are going to do what? Nobody's going to care about the NFL. I promise. You're not going to care. As you're basking in the glory of God, it doesn't matter, does it? We think to ourselves then, at those moments when we see him, we understand him in his word, and we get a grasp, a glimpse of his glory. We think, where else would we think of going? I don't want to go anywhere else. I just want to know him more. How about you? Notice in this verse, it tells you how he calls us to himself. He does it by showing his glory to us and his excellence. By experiencing his glory, seeing all that who he is and what he's done. How Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. And when I see that and I understand that he died in my place and rose from the dead and he's reigning on high and one day he's returning, that glory causes me to say, I don't want anything but him. I don't need anything but him. He's all satisfying, isn't he? Is Christ all satisfying to you? Is he your glory? Is he your joy? God's people, or God calls people to himself by revealing his glory and his moral excellence to them. It's the gospel once again, isn't it? That's his glory and excellence. It's just another way of saying the gospel, the good news. The gospel saves, the gospel sanctifies, and the gospel what? Preserves to the end until glory. When a person truly encounters the biblical Jesus, they're changed forever. The encounter with the glory and excellence of Jesus begins at conversion and continues throughout our whole life all the way to glory. The reason followers of Jesus have everything they need for life and godliness is explained in this because God calls us to himself by showing us himself. That's why we have everything we need for life and godliness. Because he's effectually worked in us and caused us to see our glory or our, our joy in Christ. One commentator stated it this way. He summarizes it well. Quote, when Christ calls people to himself, they perceive the beauty and loveliness of Jesus' moral character. His character becomes 
exceedingly attractive to them, and they trust God for their salvation, end quote. That's it. That's it right there. Now, I want to encourage you, beloved. If it's by His glory and excellence that people are called, then what other message should we have? The only message we should have is what? The glory and excellencies of Christ. The more we talk about Christ, the more we exalt Christ, the more we proclaim the Word, the more God could then what? Use that to convert people. But again, what we think is we spend hour upon hour upon hour fixing world problems in our mind when in fact the only hope is knowing God through Jesus Christ. God's gracious call is effectual because the beauty of Christ is irresistible. Let me ask you a question. Is the beauty of Christ irresistible to you? Is it? If so, then you have all you need for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him. When we experience the glory and excellence of Christ through the Word, repentance and faith is guaranteed. Now, I know at this point, is there anybody in the room saying, yeah, but I'm not always there? Anybody? Well, the answer is because we're not basking in that glory that saved us. We're not basking in the very truths that we know. We're allowing all of this information to hit us and distract us. And keep us from who we are and who we know. Now Peter moves on to a further explanation of this profound foundational truth. To God's transforming work through the knowledge of God and His Son. Notice Christ, Christ has given believers great promises. God has been given believers great promises. It says in verse 4... <coughs> For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Christ has given us his precious and great promises. As we know his glory and moral excellence of verse 3. Notice it says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So what's the by these referring to? The by these is referring to verse 3. Right before it, the glory and excellencies of Him. The gospel. By these, God has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Schreiner explains this well. He states, believers inherit God's promises as they come to know Christ. As they experience His moral excellencies and glorious radiance in conversion. As we get these, we are given the promises. And we understand them. Great and precious promises have been given to God's people through the gospel. A gospel that provides everything the believer needs. Everything. So what promises did Peter have on his mind? Well, I think he has all the promises of salvation in Christ. 
It's all that we have in Christ. It's all those promises, those great promises. The promises what? For the believer that all of my sins have been paid for. I'm justified. I'm declared right with God. When the Father sees me, he sees what? A righteous man. Why? Not because of my righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness that's been imputed to my account. It's the promises of forgiveness that he's always there and he will always forgive and he has forgiven everything that I've ever done wrong and everything that I will ever do in the future as I seek him. It's because of the declared right status. I'm forgiven. It's all forgiven. Why? Because Christ died and rose from the dead. It's the promise of the indwelling presence of God. We have God living in our souls. How many of you ever felt lonely? Well, in Christ, we're never alone. How many of you have looked at the world and you say, well, I'm all by myself here. Nobody else gets this. He does. He's with you. Do you think we need anything else than Jesus? We don't. He's indwelling in us. It's the promise of God at work in us through sanctification. How many of you blew it this week? We all did, right? You want some promises? Here's one. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What a promise, right? Is he still your joy, your delight? The promise of Christ's return. I can't wait. How about you? It's going to be a good day. It's the promise of glory to come. Man, I can't wait until I'm free of this body of death. It's going to be a really, really good day. You can see why Paul says, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This brings us to our last observation. By God's promises, we become like him. God has given us his promises for the purpose of us becoming more like him. So that ver clause right in the middle of that verse is so important. So that by them, the great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow, this is amazing. Divine nature? partakers God has given saving promises to his people so that they will become like God no that does not mean we become God and no that doesn't mean that we have his essence that we become God like in essence it means that we have his divine nature working through us through the spirit and the renewed heart that he has given us <coughs> This word partaker is one of my favorite words in the New Testament. It's the same word group as koinonia. Y'all have heard that word, right? Fellowship. Well, it means to share or partner or participate with. So in this context, it would be we have God's saving promises in us so that we partner with, share with, participate with the divine nature. Wow. We got all we need for life and godliness, don't we? Because the divine nature, we literally participate with the divine nature. How many of you want to be like Christ? Right? Well, you do. You do. The great promises say this. 
You have the mind of Christ is what he says to the believer. Paul says in 1 Corinthians. This develops is developing verse 3. We have all we need for life and godliness. Well, yeah, obviously, because we participate with God's divine nature. Again, believers will share in the divine nature in that they will be morally perfected. They will share in the moral excellencies of the one who saved them. Wow. In fact, those who have God's saving promises, who, sh who are sharing with God's divine nature, have escaped the corruption of the world. That's what that little verse says at the end. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Hmm. God has given us saving promises, beloved, so that we will become like the Lord. We will become like the Lord Christ. Why? Because we have escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So back to the question. Why would we go to the world for our knowledge? Why would we go to the place that is driven by their evil desires? For our knowledge. Does the dog return to its vomit? Yes, it does. But are we like the dog? Hopefully not, right? Beloved, why do we go anywhere other than the Word of God? We need Him. We have already escaped the corruption of the world. If you're saved, you're, you've escaped it. But one day, the final completion of this escape will happen. I admit, it's a war, isn't it? But one day, one day, the final escape is happening. The final redemption for all of God's children. This is the day we all long for. The good news God didn't throw us on this world or keep us on this earth and say, just get by until I come back. He's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through a true knowledge of Him. And it's His divine power and His divine nature at work in our lives that cause us to what? Look like Him in a world that's in chaos, filled with evil desires. Friends, I know, we have tons of sad things that are going on around us all the time. And it can be discouraging. But the great truth is, we have God abiding in our hearts. Those who have repented and trusted in Christ, the Spirit of God abides in you. And you have grace and peace always at your disposal through a knowledge of Him. Let's study more. What do you say? Let's spend more time with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness, your, your grace and peace that you have abundantly given us. First at our salvation and then as we walk through this world of chaos and evil desires, you continue to pour out your unmerited favor and peace upon us through the knowledge of your son. God, I pray that today, if there's anyone in this place that doesn't have 
that relationship, doesn't know you in a saving way, I pray that today you will convict their hearts, show them their sin, show them that their only hope is the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ. Please, Father, save. We trust you with that. Father, we pray that we who are struggling and fighting and trying to get through this world with these bodies of death we carry, we pray that you will help us to pursue you, to know you more, to rest in your glory, to rejoice in you always. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. We pray that you help us to apply it now. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.